Well, I'd like you to take out your Bible or boot up your Bible or open your Bible if you would. And I'd like you to go to the book of John with me tonight. The book of John. I want to read just a, a brief passage of Scripture, and uh, then I want us just to talk about it uh, together. John chapter 4. Um, and we'll start in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. They were urging Jesus. And they were saying, Rabbi, eat. The disciples were hungry, you know, and they were thinking in earthly terms, and they wanted to make sure that their teacher was fed as well. And so they said, Rabbi, you need to eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. It's another sermon for another day, but I always have thought that's a little bit of a strange statement coming from Jesus. I know what he means, but if I was one of the disciples, I would be like, you know, you got like a snack that we don't know about? Like, what do you got in your bag, Jesus? I have food to eat that you don't know about. I've been hoarding Twinkies. Verse 33. They didn't have Twinkies back then. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone bought him something to eat? That's what they were thinking. They were like, what in the world? Like, we robbed a convenience store or what happened? And verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He said, I get, I get strength from doing the will of the one who sent me. I get life from doing the will of the one who, who sent me in doing his work. So do, not, do you not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, look up, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white everywhere you look. It's white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others labored, and you have entered into their labor. Out of all the messages that I've prepared for our time together, this one was the hardest. Uh, I knew that I wanted to talk about going. I knew that I wanted to talk about uh, that passage out of Matthew, and it follows through. We started uh, this morning at the beginning of it, and we talked about the compassion of Jesus, that he was, that he was wrecked by what he saw. And now, we're, tonight, we're talking about the harvest, and then tomorrow, we'll talk about the fact that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then tomorrow night, we'll wrap up by talking about praying for workers in the harvest. And I knew that that was kind of the path that I wanted to follow. And, and I had a, a group of people that were praying with me about this time that I had emailed, and I had just said, hey, I've got, I've got talk one, like it's, it's, it's wrapped up. It's got a bow on it. I feel pretty good about talk number one. And, and talk number three, I, I've got an outline and a story, which, which I thought, that, I felt pretty happy about that. Talk four, it's a little fuzzy still, we're, we're going to get there. But talk two, I have no clue. And, and, and just so you know, this wasn't like two months ago when I sent this email. This was like 10 days ago when I sent this email. I remember saying to my wife, I said, I don't know what I'm going to talk about on the first night I'm there. 
And she looked at me and she's like, oh, you'll come up with something. Like, you'll, you'll just, you'll come up with something. Like, and I'm like, yeah, I got to come up with something, you know? And uh, I remember talking to my dad because my dad's like, what are you going to preach about when you're up there in Kingswood and the snow globe that is Kingswood? What are you going to preach about? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to preach about the harvest and all this. Well, what are you going to say about the harvest? I said, I have no clue what I'm going to say. And I got an email from a friend of mine who knew, knows me pretty well. And he said, Chad, he said, you know that, that passage in the Bible that says, confess your sins to each other and you'll be healed. I'm thinking, what does he want me to do on the first night up there at this place? He said, I want you to, what if you just confessed your sin to Kingswood University? I said, what are you talking about? Like, I'm reading this email, and I'm like, I thought you were my friend. And like, what is he talking about? And I'm like, He's, you, you are the man. He's calling me out, like, in Scripture. And I'm like, what's he talking about? He said, tell him the story that you told me about how you did ministry when you started and how it's different today. And, and I wouldn't call it a sin. I, I would say that it was utterly misguided, um, which was probably a sin, I don't know. We'll just call it whatever it was. I should. It's at a Bible college. It's a, okay. It was a sit, you know. But he said, "I want you to talk. Wait, you ought to talk about that." I still had nothing. Three days ago, I still had nothing. And I woke up in the middle of the night, um, two nights, three nights ago, maybe. And I had some scratches on a paper. And and suddenly I just started thinking about what my friend had sent me, and I thought started thinking about these moments. And um, I just want to share that with you tonight. And if it's helpful, um, and I pray that it is, um, I just pray that God would speak through it. If it isn't helpful, just say, man, McCullum needs more sleep. Like, man, McCullum needs a lot more sleep. And he needs to stop writing sermons at 3 in the morning, okay? Um, but let's jump in. I, I told the group, so you know, before when we were praying, they said, how should we pray specifically for you tonight? I said, pray that this makes sense. Uh, which is always a good thing with a sermon. It ought to make sense. Like, if it's a fog up here or a mist up here, it's going to be a fog out there, you know? And so let's just jump in. This morning we talked about those moments in our life um, that change everything. I want us to think for a moment tonight as we jump into this message about moments that you could call one thing moments. And, and here's what I mean by a one thing moment. In that moment, the only thing that matters is that one thing. So the one thing moment is when you're driving down the road and you need to buy milk because you're out of milk and you need to buy Cheerios because you're out of Cheerios and you're driving down the road and you see an accident happen. Most people in that moment, most people, all of us in this room, people who love Jesus would see the accident happen and they wouldn't say, well, right now I got to go get milk. I mean, really, they sent me for milk and Cheerios. And if I don't get Lucky Charms, there's going to be a problem. No, in that moment, all that matters is you stop and you help whoever had the accident. It's a one thing moment. A one thing moment happens when you're married, and, and for, for me, it was a Saturday night, and, and our story is, Julie and I's story, I realize, is a little different. Some of you were like, man, that guy's got the screwiest love life I've ever heard about in my life this morning, but somebody came up afterwards, and they were like, there is hope for me, and I was like, yeah, there is. I mean, really, there is, and if you met my wife, you would just be like, wow, like he, 
he, I know we don't play the lotto, but he won the lotto like when he married her. And, and so there was a night for Julie and I where we had been married a number of years and we'd been told we couldn't have kids. And so I got a different doctor and I kept the same wife and now we have three kids is what we have. And, uh, and we didn't do anything special. Like it was just, it was just all God. And, uh, and so it was, a, it was a Saturday night and we lived in Burnips, Michigan. Rhymes with turnips. Any Burnips people? Yeah, Mindy Lowe, of course. I knew I would hear that from Mindy Lowe at that point. So we lived in Burnham's, Michigan, and it's a Saturday night, and I'm looking at my sermon, and Julie walks in the room, and she said, um, Chad, it's about 8 o'clock at night. She said, Chad, um, I, I don't know how to say this because I'm not fully sure of just what happened, but I think my water broke. And I was like, what? Like, what? Like, like, we took a class on all of this, and I'm like, on a Saturday night? Like, we got, we got two services in the morning and one tomorrow night. Like, your water can't break on a Saturday night. Like, God knows that this can't happen. And she said, well, we got to go to the hospital. And, and so in that moment, you know what I didn't do? I didn't say, babe, really, I'm working on point three, and point three is not there yet. And so if you can hold on for a minute, I'm going to wrap this up because i got to figure out how to teach on tithing or whatever tomorrow morning at the church. I didn't do that. I was like, babe, get in the car. And we drove like 13 miles an hour all the way, all the way to the Voss Children's Hospital. We walked into the hospital, and honestly, there, were, there was like a dual track in my head. One was... All that matters is getting her to the hospital so we can have this baby, Chase, Josiah, McCullum. Like, all that matters is that. And then I thought, who's going to preach in the morning? So I walked in, and I literally said, I said, I got I to gotta make a phone call. And the doctor was like, dude, your wife is in full tilt labor. And I'm like, I got to find pulpit supply. And so I called the guy in our church. I was like, hey, I know you've been coming a few weeks, and I know you preached before. <laughs> And you know how we've been talking about you preaching at the church? And he was like, yeah. I'm like, I'd love to have you do that. And mind you, it's 10 o'clock at night by now. I said, in fact, I was thinking tomorrow morning, both services, 9 and 1030. And he said, well, that's a little quick, don't you think? And I'm like, look, my child is emerging into earth right now. And, and I'd like, oh, I'm on it, man. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. It was the least prepared sermon ever preached in our church, I can tell you that right now. Like, just stand up and talk about John 3.16. Do something. So he did. It was a one-thing moment, though, because all that mattered, all that mattered was caring for my wife and caring for our son. By the way, all three of our kids were born on a Sunday. I think God knew I needed a break is what I think God knew. All three of them. I was thinking about these one thing moments and the stuff you think about it at the uh, middle of the night. This is a friend of mine. I'm going to put him up on the screen. Um, this is my buddy Brent. And Mark and Sherry know Brent. Uh, Brent's a dairy farmer. And uh, Brent, <laughs> Brent lives in the big town of Burnups, Michigan, uh, population 200. And uh, Brent's one of the best friends I've ever had. And one night when we moved to Burnham's, I didn't know anything about farming. I knew nothing about farming. Let me rephrase that. Um, I would stand up in church and I would say, no, I don't know anything about farming at all, but if I was a farmer, here's what I can imagine that it would be like. And finally, it was Mindy Lowe's grandpa uh, who showed up one night and he said, or he dropped off a cow at, at Brent's house, a little, a little, little cow, a little like moo cow show at Brent's house. And... Dropped off this cow, and Brent called me, and he said, um, Chad, we got a small problem. 
I said, well, what's that? He said, uh, you are now the proud owner of a heifer calf. And uh, I said, well, what's that? And uh, he said, uh, well, you're going to find out. He said, first thing you have to do is band it. And we're not going to go into that because that's a different talk for another day. And so uh, I'm like, well, well, that sounds rather inhumane to do, but okay. He said, why don't you come up and you get the privilege of tagging its ear. So I pierced the ear of a cow, people. I, I did, a heifer. I, I realize I'm messing this. Those of you that know cows, you're like, heifers aren't cows, cows aren't heifers. I don't know. So I show up. I named the thing. I raised the thing. I fed it. I'd show up. I had visitation like every Wednesday night and every other weekend. I'd show up to see this cow. And I had a picture, picture of this cow on my desk. And so people would come in, and I would be like, well, that's my son, Chase. And that's my pretty wife, and that's my cow. Like right there, that's my cow. Like, doesn't everybody have a cow? Like, you all have a cow, don't you? Yeah, I don't know. So I had this cow, and, and I named it, named it Crisis Mode. That was my cow's name, Crisis Mode, because that was my whole life right then. Everybody was in Crisis Mode, and so I named it Crisis Mode. And then there was a day that Brent said, that cow's getting big. And I'll tell you right now, that cow was fat. Like, I mean, we fed that cow everything you could feed that cow and we ate that cow. We ate it. Yeah, I know. And it, this side of the room's like it. This side, you're like, you're a hater. Like, you should only eat vegetables. I'll tell you right now, that was the best cow I ever ate in my life. I, w- I would do it all over again, too. Early on. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise you. They told me I had a little more time tonight. So uh, early on, I had said to Brent, I called him one morning. And I had said to Brent, I said, Brent, um, hey, I want to catch up with you on something. He said, you bet. He said, I'll come by when I have some spare time. I was sitting in my house at 1130 at night watching The Late Show with David Letterman. And I heard the rumbling of something that I had never heard before in the driveway at 11.30 at night, out in the sticks. I mean, way out past the boonies. I mean, we were out in the sticks. And I pull back the curtains, and there is a full-tilt combine sitting in my driveway. And I, I go out, I look, I'm like, what in the, somebody must be drunk. Like, what is going on? And I see Brent emerge from the combine. And I go outside, and I'm like, hey, Brent, like, what in the world are you doing? It's 1130 at night. Like, I'm in here watching The Late Show with Letterman. Like, what are you doing? And he said, I'm picking up chicks, is what he said. And I'm like, picking up chicks? I'm picking up chicks. And he said, I've been out, and he said, we've been chopping corn. And then he said these words, and this is what I'll never forget. It's harvest time. And he said, I've been working all day. And he said, I still have probably another hour or two to go tonight. And he said this, and when it's harvest time, the only thing that matters is the harvest. Now, I'll just tell you right now, um, Brent um, was kicked out of one of our Wesleyan schools. Uh, he was for a lot of, long story. He loves Jesus and loves his family now and all of that, but he was, he was asked to leave one of our Wesleyan schools. Um, he, he's not a theologian. He'd be the first to say that. But I've never forgotten that. When it's harvest time, the only thing that matters is the harvest. You see, it's a one thing moment. Like, this is a one thing moment with your life. 
I, I used to think, okay, life is brief, and, and, you know, we all have, like, a little bit of a chance down the road. We're going to put it off. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna postpone it for another day. We'll, we'll start living 10 years from now. And then, and then you start going to some funerals or you officiate some funerals, and you, and you realize that life is incredibly short. And this is a one-chance moment. Like, this is not some dress rehearsal for another day with more ideal conditions. These are the conditions that we get right now. This is our moment. This is our, like, one thing moment. This is our one thing moment for the harvest. And I would just say nothing else matters. Like, nothing else. So, So study all you can study because it's like tools in your toolbox for the harvest. Share Jesus all the times you can share Jesus because, again, you may never, that may be the very last moment you have to do that. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. It's abundant. There's, there's lots and lots of it. A while back, I was at one of our Christian colleges. I was at one of our Wesleyan schools. And I was seated with a group of ministry students. And we had taken these students out for supper. And here was the deal. I said, I'm going to ask you questions and I'm going to buy you pizza. So here's what the deal is. I buy you pizza, and you let me ask you questions. And they said, hey, that's a deal. Free pizza, we're there. And so I had a group of students around the table, and they're all eating pizza, and I'm asking them about what they dream about. These are all ministry students. I'm asking them what they dream about. I'm asking them what they long for. I'm asking them, why do you want to be in in the ministry at all? I'm asking them, like, what do you dream about? What do you long for in this world? And I'm, I'm, like, trying to Whole, like it's like I'm trying to get at least $10 worth of answers out of them over this pizza, you know, because it's like a $10 pizza. I'm like saying, like asking them this. And you know what? None of them said, not one of them said, I just want to go out and I want to be part of seeing people one to Christ. Nobody said that. I, I want to I go out and I want to see my friends and my family come to Christ. And maybe they just assumed it. Maybe it was just like, well, that's a given, of course. But they didn't say it. They, they said things like, well, I really enjoy drinking coffee with people. And I'm like, then get a job at Starbucks. Like, get a, like really, get a job at Starbucks. Or I, I really enjoy journeying with people. Like, then go be a Sherpa at Mount Everest, okay? Like, go, go climb a mountain and take some people with you. I don't know. But nobody said, I want to see people one to Christ. Nobody said, I, I want to see, and nobody even said anything. I realize harvest is kind of a, a churchy word. It's in the Bible, but it's kind of a churchy word. Nobody said that. And I remember that night on the phone. I remember calling my wife. And she said, you sound down tonight. Like, why are you so discouraged? And I said, um, I said, I don't get it. I just don't get it. And she said, what don't you get? And I said, I had dinner with a whole group of ministry students and not a single one of them. When I even raised it, like, well, what about reaching people that are far from God? They didn't even bite. Like, it was just like the most remote thought to them they'd ever heard. And I said, babe, it doesn't even compute in my brain, in my puny little brain that God gave me. Because in my mind, it's harvest time. And when it's the harvest, like nothing else matters. And then she said this to me. My wife is great at, she has the spiritual gift of common sense. And uh, so she said to me, you know, Chad, you weren't always like 
like now, the way you are, you weren't always like that. And um, I said, you're right. And that's what my friend was talking about in this email. He was describing that scene. And that's what I want to tell you here. There was a season in my life where I pursued things other than the harvest. And I was in ministry doing it. I don't know how fully to describe these, and again, I wrote this at three in the morning, so I apologize, but I pursued for a long time in my life what you might call, and go to the next slide there, what you might call a corporate platform. Um, when, when I felt called to ministry in Fairmount, Indiana, at the Indiana North District camp meeting, and I walked the center aisle, and I knelt at the altar, and I just knew in that moment that God was calling me to serve him and to serve the people that he loved and to serve the church. I, I didn't know fully what that meant. I had no clue that it would end up with me standing up in Kingswood, at Kingswood University. Like I, that wasn't even on my radar. But I, I remember I knelt there, and I, after the service, my dad prayed with me, and a man named Dr. Harold Bardsley prayed with me, and Dr., Reverend Steve Wingfield, he prayed with me. And, and I just remember saying, God, I give all that I know of who I am to all that I know of who you are. And then I walked out to get a hamburger at the snack shop. And a man named John Story came up to me, and John Story loves Jesus, and he's a godly man. He runs a whole chain of funeral homes, and, and he's, one of, he was, he's probably one of my dad's best friends. And John Story came up to me, and he said, he said, Chad, can I ask you why you were praying tonight? And I said, well, sure. I said, I feel like God's calling me to ministry. I said, I think maybe I'm supposed to be a pastor. And he said, really? He said, what kind of church do you, are you going to have? And I don't even know where it came from, but I said this. I'm going to have a church with 1,000 people in it. That's, that's the first thing that came out of my mouth. I'm going to have a church of 1,000 people. And, and that was honestly the biggest church that I could imagine at that point in my life. And he said, you know what, Chad? I'm going to hold you to that. And when you have 1,000 people, I'm going to send you a check for $100. I never forgot it. And he wasn't saying he was being mean. He was just like, hey, I'm going to, you take your wife out for dinner when you have a thousand people. And so I remember literally walking away and people would say, hey, God's called you to ministry. What do you think you're going to do? I said, I'm going to have a church of a thousand people. And what are you going to do when you get a church of a thousand people? I'm going to write a book about it. That's what I'm going to do. And then what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to tell other people how to do what I did. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And they would say, well, don't you want to, like, reach people for Christ? Well, yeah, of course, but I want a 1,000 people. Like, a 1,000 people, like, that's called a good start for me. Like, I think a 1,000 people, I was so young. My first church had 80 people in it, and the average age was 80 years of age. And here I am thinking, I need a 1,000 people. Like, and so everything else, because I set that mark for myself, like, that's what the harvest looked like for me, everything else felt like failure. Everything else. So our little church of 80 people grew to like 150 people. And I would go home on Sunday and my wife would be like, I don't get why you're so upset. And I would be like, because it's not 1,000 people. It's only 150 people. And she's like, Chad, when, they came, when you came here, you, like 40 of the 80 were ready for their funeral. They had prearranged, Chad. Like you realized like this was a physically dying church, you know, and, and you showed up. And, and like you realize how God's used you here. And I'm like, no, it's, not, it's only a thousand, it's not a thousand people. I made a decision early on that I um, look back now. And if I have one regret, I regret this. I left the church we were at and I went to a church and the pastor said, we have a vision of 1,000 by 2,000. And I heard that, and it was like giving alcohol to an alcoholic. And he said, I want you to come, and I want you to help us get to 1,000. 
And I, honestly, it, it could have been anywhere in the world. And when he said, and you're going to be the guy who's going to help us get there. And I remember telling my wife, I said, babe, we're supposed to do that. And she's like, Chad, no, we're not supposed to do that. And I'm like, no, 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 we're supposed to do that. Thousand by 2,000, you hear that? Thousand by 2,000. And she's like, no, you're neurotic. Like, you need a counselor, okay? Like, and I'm like, no, 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 we need to do that. And we did it. We went to that church, and we never even attended a service at that church. I don't recommend that, okay? That's probably not the best thing. We never even visited the church. And it was the most painful two years in our married lives. And then we went to Burnups, Michigan, big city. And I remember literally scheming, thinking, how do we get 1,000 people? The church had about 300, and I thought, thousands in reach. And so one weekend, it was like Easter weekend, we had four services. And this is a totally true story. I'm not making this up for dramatic effect. We had four services, and I was standing in the very back of the room during the final service, and the head usher of the church, guy that we called P.F. Chewy, Paul Folkert, Mindy, uh, came up to me, and Paul said, man, great news, great news, great news. And the service is going on. Everybody singing. I said, what's that? And he said, this is the fourth service out of all of them. And combined, we've had, look, and he handed me a paper. We'd had 999 people that weekend in church. I said, that's not good enough. And he's like, I said, why are you so happy? He said, why? I said, because we're going to have a thousand. And he said, well, look, 999 is pretty close. We can round up. Like somebody's got to be pregnant in this room. You know, we can round up. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And this is totally true. I looked across the lawn of the church, and there was a kid jumping on a trampoline. I totally did this. I reached into my pocket. I don't even, this is so crazy. And I pulled a $20 bill out of my pocket, and I gave it to the usher. I said, go give it to that kid, and you get him in here, and we're going to have 1,000 people. And he came in, and we had 1,000 people in church. And I went home, and I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. Um, see, I pursued a path of ministry um, that just was not at all to do. It, I would have veiled it and said, well, this is about the harvest. It really wasn't. It was more about me. And that was kind of the second thing. What I pursued was maybe personal success. Personal success. So I thought we were doing well when we had money. I thought we were doing well when, when, we, when Julie and I bought a house and we planted our church because we had some level of stability in our lives. I, I thought we were doing well because, and I'm not saying we shouldn't plan for the future, but for me it was like if I stay on this path, I'll be able to retire when I'm this age. And, and here's what I got. All, I, I remember the day. I remember the day that I was sitting with a wise friend of mine and he said these words to me. He said, Chad, you're gifted. Like, you have skills and abilities that God has given you. But he said, it just seems to me like you're about things that don't fully align sometimes with what God is about. Seems to me like you're in this ministry game for maybe a little different reason than, than what Scripture would teach. And um, I remember in that moment, like every little scene in my mind, like when I pulled my $20 bill out of my wallet and said, go get that kid. And, and every moment, like it just scrolled back in my head. And I looked at him and I said, you're right. And then I said to him, I said, but I don't know, I don't know what else I'm supposed to be about. Like, and, and he said, what if you gave the rest 
of your life and the rest of your ministry to the harvest, just to people. But if you just said, I will do everything I can so that as many people as can can say yes to Jesus, and if it's a thousand, great. If it's a, if it's a hundred, great. And if it's one, then, then great. But just what if you love Jesus so much that you would just say the harvest is going to be my priority. That's going to be my one thing. And, and so it won't be like I'm driven by the, by the number board in the back of the church on the Sunday morning. It, it won't be like I'm driven by the offering. And it, it'll be more that I'm driven more, less by how many people are coming and more by how many people we can send. It'll, it'll mean that I rejoice when, when Chet and Virginia Quinn, who are part of our church plant, say they're going to go to Cambodia. And everything in me thought, man, they're really good people and they love Jesus. And, and, and man, they're stable. Like, they have a healthy marriage like nobody else does, but they do. And so why can't they stay? But instead it's saying, no, I rejoice that we can send them out because it became less about bringing people in. And it was more about how can we send more and more people out? And something changed. I don't know how else to describe it, but something changed. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but... I started developing friends with people who were far, that were literally, I mean, totally far from God. And we could tell you crazy stories about that. I started developing friends like, with a guy named Stu and a guy named Adam. And, and suddenly, I didn't care if we had 100 people in church, 10 people in church, or 1,000 people in church. All that I cared was that my friends Stu and Adam don't know Jesus. And by the way, they still don't know Jesus today. And it was the only thing that mattered to me. And then it was this thing that just said, you know what? I've got to give my life to that as it relates to the world. Because there's people all around the world that have literally never heard. See, I think when you are consumed with the harvest as one thing, as like your one thing, I think some things happen. Some of you are wondering if I was going to get back to the Bible. I promise you I am. Here's the first one. If we were consumed with the harvest as our one thing, we wouldn't put it off. We wouldn't put it off. Jesus says this in this passage in John. Don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? It's like Jesus saying, look, it's like it must have been a saying that people would have used. Well, like, hey, four months and then we'll hit the harvest field. Four months and then we'll get to that. And meanwhile, we're sitting back and we're sipping our lemonade and we're relaxing. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Time out. This is not a four months later thing. This is a right now thing. I think if we were consumed with the harvest the way that Jesus was consumed with the harvest, we wouldn't put it off. We wouldn't put it off for a more, quote, suitable time. We wouldn't put it off for, well, when I get married or when I pay off loans or when I have a family or when I have grandkids or when I figure out my vocation or when I'm ready. By the way, you'll never be ready. Like, you, you'll, you'll, you can prepare but you'll find yourself and realize, God, you prepared me a lot, but in this moment, I need you to make up the difference you will never be completely ready. There's never going to be a more suitable time than right now, than right now in my mind, to share Jesus. You see, some people, there's a lie the enemy would give us, and the enemy would say this, you have plenty of time. You have plenty of time. You don't have to share Jesus with, with that person because you have plenty of time. You don't have to go overseas right now because you have plenty of time and somebody else will do that. You don't have to really be engaged in what God is doing around the world because we have, we have plenty of time. We have plenty of time. And then you go to a funeral of people that you love. You go to a funeral of people that you care about and you realize you don't have plenty of time. I remember when we moved from Michigan 
to Indiana, um, I remember thinking to myself, I need to share Jesus with my friends, Stu and Adam. I need to share it with them as clearly as I could. And, and you need to know these guys are like, like um, hostile would be the word that I would use toward the church. And, um, and I remember thinking, I told a friend of mine, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask to take Stu and Adam out to lunch and I'm going to share Jesus with them. And it wasn't just cold turkey. It wasn't like, hey, I'd like to sell you a timeshare in Florida. It wasn't like that. It was, it was, we'd had a friendship and all of that. And so I said to Stu and Adam, I said, look, um, I'm going to take you out to lunch. And I need to tell you something just so I can like, know that I've told you and that it's because I care about you guys. And we went out to lunch and we sat at a table at a little greasy spoon restaurant. And I just said, I want you guys to know that Jesus died for you. I want you guys to know how much Jesus loves you. I want you guys to know that if you were the only people who ever walked the face of the planet, that Christ would have died just for you. I want you to know you are my friends. I want you to know how much I care about you. And I walked through, what it, here's what it means to trust Christ. And then I said, guys, would you like to do that? Would you like to trust Christ? And, and they said, no. I said, no. They said, thanks. Thanks, though. Like, they said, we know you really care about us. They said, you're the only Christian we really know. And, and, and so it means a lot. Like, thanks, but, but no. And they said, just so you know, we're not going to, like, unfriend you on Facebook now because you share Jesus with us or anything. But, but thanks. We're not interested. We're not interested. And you know what? I went home that day, and, like, the old Chad would have been like, you know, good grief. I've spent so much time with them, and I've poured into them, and I've prayed for them. But I walked away with a sense like, God, I think I did what I knew to do in that moment. And I didn't put it off. I didn't wait till a better time, till a more suitable time, or till my spare time. I didn't put it off. People do this all the time with missionary service. They, they look for when's the more suitable time and when is my spare time. A while back, David Kim said this. He said, the Great Commission will never be fulfilled with our spare time or our spare money. It'll never be fulfilled with our spare time or spare money. If we were consumed with the harvest as our one thing, we wouldn't put it off. Here's the second thing. If we were consumed with the harvest as our one thing, we would see it more clearly. We would see it more clearly. John chapter 4, listen to what I am telling you, Jesus says. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes. Like, look all around you. There, there's a harvest over there. And Jesus said, there's a harvest over there. And there's a, there's a harvest right there. Like, everywhere you look, there's a harvest. There's a, there's a harvest. There's a harvest. We would see it more clearly. And yet, I talk to people sometimes, and they'll say, well, you know, the town I live in, people aren't that interested in spiritual things. You know what Jesus would say? Well, there's a harvest right there. If they're not interested in spiritual things, you're just the person. You're just the man. You're just the woman to move into that town and show Jesus. Or you talk to missionaries, and they'll say, and I, this is where I love being around missionaries, because they go to a town that's like 98% Muslim, and they, you know what they say? They don't say, wow, this is so hard, though it is hard. And they don't say, wow, this is so difficult, though it is difficult. This is what they say. There's a harvest everywhere we look. When, when, when I walk the streets with some of our teammates, and, and this is what they said. They said, Chad, as we're walking, just pray for every person you see. And realize that very, it's very likely that nobody has ever prayed for that person in the name of Jesus. And so we're walking through the city markets. And here's just 
hundreds of people, like flooding, like water, just flooding. And you're walking along, like, there's a person who Jesus loves, and there's a person who Jesus loves, and there's a person who Jesus loves, and there's a person who Jesus loves. We would see it more clearly. You see, the disciples were not focused on the fields. They were focused on lunch. They were focused on dinner. They were all concerned with what was in Jesus' knapsack. They were all consumed with themselves, not souls. And Jesus is like, look, there's a harvest. See, I think when we get this down, when we understand the harvest the way that the Bible talks about it, we'll see the news differently. So, for instance, recently ISIS beheaded a whole bunch of Egyptian Christians and it's tragic, and it's horrible. And I think Jesus would have some very clear words to be spoken into that moment. But I think one of the things Jesus would say is there's the harvest. There's the harvest. Because here's the truth. Again, those, those guys who, who beheaded these Christians, they probably have never, they've probably never known fully who Jesus really is. Jesus would say there's, there's the harvest. Or sometimes when you drive through an area and there's just total poverty. You ever drive through a place like that? Have you been on a mission strip and everywhere you look, it's poverty, poverty, poverty? I think Jesus would say, and you would just say, this is horrible. Like, this is crazy. And Jesus would say, there's the, there's the harvest. It's right there. There's the harvest. I remember when we went to Cambodia years ago, and when you go to Cambodia, they take you to the killing fields and just read about it sometimes. Don't read about it late at night. It'll give you nightmares and, and um, read about it like, during the day and on a full stomach. And so like, you, you read about that, and it was just horrible. And I remember going to the killing fields, and I mean, I cried for three hours, like mass graves where they buried children, and, and everywhere you looked. And then over here in the corner, though, there's a group of people that were praying, they're all Buddhist people, and they're praying. And I think Jesus would have said, there's the harvest. Like in this total horrific scene, there's the, there's the harvest right there. Or sometimes we, we paint wealthy people in a certain light, and we'll say, well, those, you know, those people, that we, we can't really interact because that's a whole different deal. They got a lot of money. I think Jesus would say, there's, there, there's the harvest right there. There's the harvest. When I think about the harvest, I think about a man named Reverend Babu. Uh, Reverend Babu is the national leader of the Wesleyan Church in, in, um, in Nepal. Ten years ago, uh, in, the, in that country, ten years ago, we had one Wesleyan church. One. One. One Wesleyan church. And it wasn't like gargantuan. It wasn't huge. It was, it was a church, and it was Reverend Babu was the pastor. And ten years ago, Reverend Babu, something like got down deep in his gut where he just said, God, there's no other time than this time for the harvest. There's no other life that I'm going to be ready. Like, this is my only life to give to this cause. And Reverend Babu started praying. And Reverend Babu started fasting. And Reverend Babu started sharing Jesus with everybody who could share Jesus with. And look up Nepal. It's not a Christian nation. Not a Christian nation at all. And Reverend Babu said, our little church... We're going to plant more churches, and then those churches are going to plant more churches. And, and whoever, like, the newest or the oldest Christian in the room is, they're going to be the pastor. And then we're going to go to the next church, and we're going to go to the next church, and we're going to go to the next church. And now, 10 years later, 10 years ago, there's one church, and now, 10 years later, there's 50 Wesleyan churches in the country of Nepal. 50 Wesleyan churches. And you say, well, how did that happen? Like, what's the secret? Like, like we want to know so like, we can reproduce. You know what happened? There was, there was one guy. You can draw the line all the way back. But it started with one guy who got on his face before God 
and said, I don't have any other life to give than this life. I don't have any other life to give than my one and only life to this cause. And he fasted and he prayed and he longed and he shared Jesus and he took risks and, and one church became 50. And I said to Reverend Babu, just a few weeks ago down in Florida, he was here for the national conference and, and I said to him, I said, Reverend Babu, you must be really happy. Like, you must be like, man, I'm ready for a vacation. And he looked at me and he said, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. And I'm like, 50 churches, man. Like, really? Like, nobody's gone one church to 50 churches in the last 10 years. Nobody. And, and he said, no, no, no. He said, I'm praying for the day that when you open a book about Nepal, it says that Nepal is a Christian nation. I remember laying my head on the pillow that night. I was rooming with a friend of mine named Tim Hipshman. And I said, you know my little dream? Back like years ago when I wanted to have a thousand people in my church, like Reverend Babu just blew up my little dream. I think Babu would walk the streets of Nepal and he would say, there's the harvest. There's the harvest. So they'll take the Jesus film into a village where Jesus has never been proclaimed and people will trust Christ and they'll start a church. There's the harvest. How would we, how would we respond? Here's the third thing. We would live with a deep urgency. Look at the fields, Jesus said, for they're ready. For they're ready. Look at the fields. They're, they're just ready. So my friend Brent will stay up till one in the morning, two in the morning, chopping corn and go back the next morning and do it again because the fields were we're ready. I remember the day somebody said to Brent, um, they were talking about the newest episode of The Office. And now, if you don't know, The Office is a very funny show that used to be on TV, but now isn't. It started in the United Kingdom. It was less funny there because we're Americans, and then we made it our own. And so somebody was talking. Everybody watched The Office. And so uh, somebody said to Brent, did you see the new episode? And Brent said, no, I didn't see it. I was chopping corn. He said, I don't even watch TV when it's harvest time. I don't, I don't do anything, he said, other than other than the harvest. When you look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. Jesus is looking out at the fields and the crops were fully developed. And I think if we said that's our one thing, we would live with a deep urgency. I don't remember where I heard it, but it's marked me. Think about this. A hundred years from today, a hundred years from right now, it will be all new people. A hundred years from right now, all new people. Unless, like, they figure out how to, I don't know, freeze Dr. Smith and let him age to 160. I don't know. But the fact is, a hundred years from now, none of us are in this room. A hundred years from now, we're all gone. So, what are we going to do with our one and only life? I think we would live with a deep urgency. You see, there's a difference between a harvest being reaped and a harvest being ruined. And the difference in harvest terms and in agricultural terms is just like a few weeks. So it's in that season that you say, I have to yield. I have to go out. I have to live with that kind of deep urgency. For me, honestly, I put off being part of God's global work as long as I could. I said no to this job two times before I said yes to it one time. They called, Chad, we want you to do this. No, I don't want to do that. Chad, what if you were part of it? No, I don't want to do that. And I just realized it was like God just saying, like, what life are you waiting for when you're going to be part of what God's doing around the world? 
Like what life are you thinking is gonna come your way? You see, the harvest is more significant than we could ever imagine. Band's gonna come back up and uh, I'd like to wrap up in this way. I'd like you to, whatever you're holding, I'd like you to lay it just to the side. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know fully what God might have said to you tonight. I don't know fully how this all sits. Some of you may say, man, I've got a term paper that I have to write. I have a test that I, I, I realize that. I understand that. But I wonder if tonight would be a night when maybe some of you would just like to say, I'm gonna come to an altar and I'm gonna kneel. And I'm just gonna say, God, I want my life um, to not be about any other pursuit. I wanna know you and I wanna pursue this harvest. I don't want to just pursue popularity. I don't just want to pursue some idea of ministry success, some platform. I just want to pursue you, and I want to pursue the harvest. And tonight, if that's you, uh, we're going to stand, and we're going to sing a song um, that just talks about God doing a work in our own hearts. And if that's you, I, I really do just invite you just to come and find a place at this altar and uh, and just to say, God, would you do a work in my heart that only you can do? And just to say, God, whatever you want to do with my life, I give it to you. So I'd like us just to stand.